0: This is J.G. Hertzler, General Mark Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM.
1: Hello, and welcome to Season 6, Episode 18 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today is the second part of our series on Michael Piller, where we're going to be looking at his third television series, or his third television series pilot, or or however you want to look at that, Legend. Okay. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Legend is a show. That came out in 1995, April of 95, on the UPN, three months, just three months after Voyager. And, yes. um, he co created the show with Bill Dial, and it stars Richard Dean Anderson as the title character, as well as, uh, John Delancey, who's kind of a sidekick, sort of, and some other people. And, um, this is a show which, uh, didn't last long. Twelve episodes? About yeah, twelve I think episodes.
2: It's, it's twelve. Yeah, twelve episodes.
1: Thirteen hours probably, because the first one was a two two hour yeah. premiere. And uh and yeah, do you you want to give like a synopsis of this of this
2: show? You know, uh the, I think the best synopsis uh could be that uh it it's sort of a twist in a sense on uh the superhero mythos. Uh it's set back in wild west days and uh richard dean anderson plays a writer who has created this mythic character named nicodemus legend who is all the rage and he's uh sort of a robin hood or you know batman type character he you know he goes out and he fights for the little guy uh, against you know corruption and and evildoers and uh there becomes in the pilot uh There's a case of mistaken identity because uh, Richard Dean Anderson is in all of the photos as Nicodemus Legend. Um, So there's a warrant for his arrest because supposedly Nicodemus Legend has done something illegal. And along the way, he finds out somebody has impersonated him. And the person behind the chicanery is played by John DeLancey, who partners up with him to further the legend of Nicodemus Legend.
1: Yeah, he uses like the persona of Nicodemus Legend as sort of like a uh, um, a public persona. So like when he's going yeah. out to sell the books, he gets up on stage and says, "I'm Legend," and everyone's like, "Hey, that's great," you know, that kind of thing. And John Delancey's character is a scientist from—is he from Hungary? I yeah, from Hungary. Yeah, and he uh, basically sees what. Legend is talking about in the books and all of the sort of crazy things which he's creating, and he says, "Oh, I could actually build that, you know." But he doesn't. Yeah. But he doesn't want to be in the spotlight. So, so John Delancey's proposal is basically like, "You come up with the ideas, and you're the face of the operation. I'll come up with a way to actually make your ideas work." So yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, okay. Do you remember when this show came on? No, not at all. Not in the least. (laughs) Okay. I remember when this show came on, and I find that to be very strange, and I'll tell you why, because this is something which happened for years. I I mean, you know, I've I've, I've worked with with Max for years, and, and we usually would only talk about TV and movies, specifically science fiction, and if it was Star Trek related, even better. You know? And his... He's, I mean, he will be the first to admit that he was raised on television, and his knowledge of television is encyclopedic because he's seen it all, you know? That's what what his thing has been since he was a, a wee lad, is watching television, okay? <laughs> yeah. So, especially science fiction television. So... I remember this show, you know, it came on, you know, the UPN shortly after, like, towards the end of season one of uh, Voyager. So I was, you know, way big into Voyager and everything, of course, as everyone was at that time. And here they're saying, you know, from the creator of Star Trek Voyager, um, it's a new sci-fi western starring Richard Dean Anderson, which, I mean, basically meant nothing to me. I mean, I knew who he was, but I didn't care. And you know John Delancey, who plays Q, you know, yeah. and so so I was I was completely aware of this thing, and I remember all the commercials and everything, and I remember thinking like, you know, none of this is is enough to to get me to actually watch the mm-hmm. show, right? But I still remember it, and you know, over the years, over the years, it's it's been one of those things where it's like uh you know it comes up in conversation or, or it it came up in conversation because as all shows created by star trek people come up in conversation you know it's just a natural thing that you talk about and i remember this vividly like sitting in in the booth in the projection booth with max on a thursday night and saying like oh yeah um you know, Michael Piller, you know, he's done all this stuff. And, you know, Dead Zone, whatever. I think maybe Dead Zone was just starting up. I, who knows, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm like, yeah, you know, well, you know, he did that show Legend, you know. I, I never watched it. And he's like, what What are you talking about? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, you remember the show Legend? It had, like, Richard Dean Anderson and John DeLancey. And, like, he's, it's like, a sci-fi western. And, like, John DeLancey was, like, an inventor. And he's like, What? Like, he's looking at me, which he does rather frequently, you know, where he's, like, looking at me, like, are you insane? Like, what is it that you're talking about, you know? And I'm like, yeah, it was on UPN. It came on, like, right after Voyager. It was, like, a whole big thing. And the thing, it only lasted, like, 12 episodes. And he's like, that show, that's not a real thing. You're... You're misremembering. That did not exist. It's a fever dream from the
2: 1990s. You had a drug trip. You just never came out of it.
1: And I'm like, no, no, this is a real thing. He's like, you're thinking of Wild Wild West. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not. You know? And I had to, like, get on the IMDb and be like, look. Look at this thing. And he's, like, reading the IMDb. He's like, no, no. (laughs) No, that's not real. And I'm like, yes, it is. It's a real thing. I remember it. And he's like, I have no memory of that at all. And I'm like, how is that possible? How do you, of all people, not remember this? I thought if there was one person who I could talk to about this show, it would be you. And he has no memory of it. So that, that big long story, is uh, the only reason why I told it is to illustrate how obscure Legend has become.
2: Yeah, it's it is pretty obscure. I think that I think that definitely does illustrate it very adequately. Um you know, I, watching it for this, uh you know, it had, you know, uh, we we've, we've talked about this with other shows where it's like, oh, it has that feel of a 90s era show where you can sort of get that feel from it. But this one I actually enjoyed watching the pilot because the uh the feel I get from this one is I wish he were still alive so I could ask him, I am 150% positive my dad watched this show. I have yeah. no memory of him watching the show, but I guarantee you that man watched this show this regularly like right until it got alley. canceled. Yeah. This is right up his alley. Old West, superhero flavor, crazy scientist stuff.
1: Boom. That's my dad. Yeah. Throw a little Richard Dean Anderson in there for good measure.
2: Well, he had his own problems with Richard Dean Anderson, but we don't talk about those. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. No, he didn't know him personally. I'm not trying to start a scandal or anything like that. He yeah. had a problem with something that Mr. Anderson said one time, and my dad was one to hold a grudge. Ah. Okay. So, All right. That's, that's that's understandable. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but he still would have watched the show because my I mean my dad was a big like Western buff. He collected stuff from the West. Like he could tell you about the like. This is the type of show where my dad would have watched it, and he would have been like, well, that gun's not act- actually... The way you are with White Sox hats, <laughs> my dad would have been with the guns in a Western show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, You know, it, it was one of those things where it's like, I mean, looking at it now, like if it were on today, I'd be like, yes, I'm there. I'm definitely watching this show. But back in 1995, you know, I was 15 years old. We were in the middle of the uh, indie film movement of the 90s. I was discovering, you know, Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino. I was falling out of love with Star Trek, and I had absolutely no time for a science fiction western starring John Delancey. You know I mean? That was not on my radar. Well, it was on my radar, but it was not something that I was going to take the time to watch.
2: You know what I mean? I'd like to say that I was busy dating girls, but I'll just say that I was busy trying to date girls at the time, Fair and enough. Uh, Legends Air schedule didn't lend itself to that, Yeah. So, yeah. and I don't mean to say that people that watch the show weren't interested in going out and dating and finding love, I'm, I'm just saying that um, that was the time of life where I was spending most of my time outside the yeah. domicile to uh, you know, not watching TV, basically
1: makes sense, makes sense yeah it, it, you know it's i mean watching it now um well what do you what do you think about it
2: Oh, I think it's cute i mean this is this is the type of thing where i I think you're right, like if it were on today and I were scanning the channels, I'd give it a chance, I would probably put it on the d v r and give it at least a few episodes because I think that the concept is fun, and I thought that the uh the execution of it was. Yeah, it was a cute show. You know, I got a kick out of it. It was it was funny. Uh, Richard Dean Anderson is really, you know, uh, his deliveries, very, you know, very gifted comedy delivery, um, you know, gets a giggle out of you and, and stuff like that. And very believable is the, you know, when he's going around and everybody's insisting he's legend and he's sort of flipping back and forth, but like when a pretty woman comes up to him, he's like, oh, yes, I'm legend. And she's like, my name is. I, I forget her last name, but it's like Mrs. Whatever. And he's like, oh, no, I'm Ernest Pratt. I'm a writer. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. It's, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed the show too. Uh, it's one of those things where I, I I watched the pilot and something that I'm noticing here, and I, I don't know if I've, I, I guess just because I've never really thought about it now or up until now, but I'm starting to realize that Michael Piller is really good at writing pilots, you know. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. Did you did you read that Tarantino interview that just came out uh, a few a few days ago, like last week? It's been yeah. If you've seen any story about Quentin Tarantino's opinion on anything from the past week, of which there have been about five hundred and sixty, yeah. they've what? all they've all come from this one interview that he did. Yeah,
2: I, I think I know the interview you're talking about. It's like they they sit down with him and they're they're talking about like Hateful Eight and everything and
1: yeah yeah yeah. And, you know, at one point he's talking about uh, television shows and, you know, television critics. And he's like, who cares about what television critics have to say? All they watch is the pilots, and all pilots suck, you know? And there's something to that. I mean, like, whenever I'm uh, watching a new show, if if I'm excited about a new show, I'll I'll always give it through, like, episode two at least, you know, or episode two and three, because I know that episode one is going to be not what the show is going to be. Episode one, they need to cover a lot of ground. They need to set up the premise, which is usually in direct conflict with what the weekly uh, you know, format will be. But at the yeah. same time, they need to illustrate what that weekly format will be. And it's like, it's trying to be two things at once, and it can never do that really well. It's very rare that like a pilot is excellent you know i mean yeah. there's t- there's times where the pilot is excellent and then the rest of the show is just kind of weak but usually i think more often than not it's like the the pilot is whatever it is good or bad it's usually
2: not the show you know yeah i mean look at encounter at farpoint for pete's sake or even yeah. i mean yeah, even emissary like yeah uh, that didn't you know, it showed the promise of what Deep Space Nine could become, but, like, you didn't walk out of it, you know, you didn't turn off the TV and you were like, wow, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. You were like, oh, okay, it's got, it's got potential. I yeah. like it.
1: And and even that, you know, it's like, well, they're coming to the station, you know, they're, they're setting up the relationships. I mean, Voyager, you know, straight up, yeah. it's like, that's the one where they get lost, you know? The other ones are the ones where they're trying to get back home, you know? Yeah. But... Usually, usually these episodes are are maybe not that tremendously great. But what what I've I've I'm noticing with with Michael Pillars' pilots is that they are great. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you you look at Emissary and and you look at I mean the pilot to to Voyager in particular. I think is is you know one of the best episodes of that show. And yeah. I don't know what it is. I mean, I guess it's a certain discipline and it's a, it's a thing that uh, some people are good at and some people aren't and. And he's really good at, at writing pilots, and I think that that's true of Legend as well. Um, it, it, the setting up the character... I mean, like, the opening scene I thought was really cool because I, I, it, it threw me. You know, like, I kind of had an idea of what to expect from this show. And in yeah. the very first scene, you see Legend, and he's, like, on his flying wing, his bat wing or whatever. Yeah. And, he, and he's flying... And it's like, oh, look at this, and he's in an adventure. And then, you know, and, and they're setting up this whole thing. And then, you know, as just as he's about to get shot or something like that, and you're like, How is this guy gonna get out of this? Then it cuts to like a pencil breaking breaking. Yeah, on a on, piece of paper. On a piece yeah. of paper. And you see that guy who was up in the sky now writing and you realize that he's writing this adventure of himself, you know? And I'm like, oh, that's cool, you know, in the way that it's it's put together and everything, it's 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 really interesting, and and I like that. It 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 sort of grabbed me right there, and um, I like the introduction of of John Delancey and all
2: that stuff. Yeah, that was
1: fun. Mm-hmm. I, that
2: deserves a special shout out. That was a fun introduction.
1: Yeah, and they've got like the lightning going and everything, yeah. and and Delancey has such a presence. You know, it's kind of crazy to think like up until this point, at least as far as I had known him, he was just Q, right? And I'm—I mean, I guess maybe it's the nature of the business, but like everyone loved Q, and I think everyone loved Q because of his performance. And yet this guy was not—I mean, how was he not like a huge star? You know, how was he not like the star of any show? You know, I mean, it took like a, a a Star Trek. Creator to say like, oh yeah, I think this guy would be really good as a regular on a television show because look at how good he is as you know like the guest star on 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 this Next Generation thing. It's yep. like it's like how did people not see that? How did people not you know latch well, I mean, on to him? You know, it's
2: it's that whole lightning striking thing and being in the right place at the right time. I mean, you know, it's like there are plenty. Of, Delancey is sort of like um, there's a, another actor uh, you know switching into film but like J.T. Walsh was yeah. a terrific character actor and like he was one of those guys who was so wonderful and convincing in all of his roles it was the same sort of question it was like what's it take for somebody to break through for Pete's sake this guy's got some serious talent you know I love seeing him and everything and uh, yeah I mean maybe Delancey's right place and right time was Star Trek you know and and we know his name, and other people know his name because of it. So,
1: And know. I guess it, it is one of those things where he probably suffered from what everything on Next Gen, you know, suffered from, which is, you know, you're the science fiction syndicated show, you know, that is yeah. on WPWR Power 50, you know, I mean, come on. <laughs> WDCA not, 20 in the D.C. area. There you go. There you go. It's like, how are you going to take that seriously? But, you know there's this real interesting thing which I see happening um, personally now where like I'm, I'm I've talked about this a ton where I'm I'm watching like these shows which are at like the top of the, the writers guild list you know like the mm-hmm. top seven shows that are on Netflix and you know you see like a lot of weird patterns in, in doing that watching the shows simultaneously like that and one of the things that I see are, are recurring guest stars on mm-hmm. shows that have nothing to do with each other And the thing that kind of stands out to me whenever I see that, I kind of take note of it and say, like, okay, this is an actor to be aware of. Because the people, not just one group, but, like, multiple people who are making what is considered now to be the best television of all time are using these people in their shows, you know? Mm -hmm. So that says something. And one of the people who keeps on popping up is John DeLancey. He's in the yeah. West Wing. He's in Breaking Bad. Ha- have you seen Breaking Bad?
2: Uh, Mike, please. I d- I'm not you. Know, you. Okay. Of course I've seen Breaking Bad. Thank you. Okay. All right. I saw it all the way to the end. Fair and enough. And yes, when John Delancey was on it, I was like, hey, John Delancey.
1: Yeah. Hey. At, fir- at first you're like, hey, John Delancey. And then as that arc continues to the yeah. end of that season, you're like, oh my God, John Delancey. <laughs> yeah. I mean that that arc and that performance, I mean mm-hmm. oh my god, he's so good. I mean that's the, like
2: yeah. Emmy worthy right there, you know? The scene where he shuffles into work that first, the, you know, the monumental moment in the season where he shuffles into work. The way he plays that, that like he does such a good job of just conveying that loss, that emotion what that guy is going through yeah. internally. And I don't think he like his lines are all like in that scene, are all like, "Hey, what's up? Welcome back." You know, like all just normal workday stuff, but he conveys so much in it. You know, speaking to your point,
1: yeah, I mean the way that you just see the 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 sort of like torment or whatever it is on his face is just, I mean, it's it's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah it he's, is he's so good he's so good and he's good in this too you know he gets that mm-hmm. great introduction with like the lightning and the everything like that and it's 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 pretty it's pretty awesome i i i haven't watched the rest of it yet you know i i wouldn't um be opposed to to watching the rest of it at all especially since there's only you know like 11 episodes left um yeah but uh yeah i'd, I'd be very curious to to see it and,
2: and see his performance in, in, in particular. It would be really interesting to see just by the end of the season, like what, what, like what direction were they going in? Because I think that the cancellation, I mean, it, it had low ratings, but I think there was also, wasn't there like a regime change at UPN? And this, as a result, got like wiped out with a lot of other things? Because UPN yeah. was tumultuous. It, it was like uh, being a football fan in the D.C. area ownership was lacking.
1: Yeah. It, it 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 had so many problems and you know it didn't know what it was supposed to be and yeah. you know it it first i think it built itself around um Voyager, you know? So you had shows like uh Legend where it's like okay, science fiction, you know, drama, one hour science fiction dramas that makes sense. And you you know they were sort of like chasing that that Voyager demographic, so it's like okay, well, then we'll put on Pigsty, which is the show that I always remember, which no one ever talks about. <laughs> do you remember that
2: show? Nope. <laughs> I do not.
1: I think I, I watched most of that show because it was on right after Voyager. But it was it was a sitcom where basically it was like odd couple times ten, you know, where like a bunch of like college friends who are now like in their 20s or so yeah. – um, for whatever reason, need to get an apartment together, but they're they're all at different places in their lives or whatever. One's a lawyer, one's you know working at McDonald's, whatever it is. You yeah. know, one's a frat boy still, and you know can't you know move on with his life. So the idea is it's like the ultimate bachelor pad, you know, and then and then you know just to kind of throw something into the mix there. The uh, the super for the building was played by Liz Vassy. Who, um, no idea who that is. You would totally recognize her in 1995. She was in, <laughs> well, <laughs> she was all over TV at that point. Um, did you ever see Maximum Bob? Nope. Oh, I'm was, familiar with that title though. That was a great show. Um, oh, The Tick. Did you see The Tick? Of course. Okay. She's the, uh, the, I, I say I've never seen it, but who's it was like the Statue of Liberty lady?
2: Okay. Okay. All right, I got you. Okay, I I, I know who you're referring to. Okay, yeah, I got you.
1: So 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 she, she was like their super, you know. It's like, oh, look at that, you know. There's the the hot, you know. It's actually when you think about it, it's
2: very similar to uh, the Big Bang Theory. It actually, actually sounds very similar to One Day at a Time. Okay, because you have an apartment where everybody of the same sex is living, and then the super is, although Schneider wasn't really a sex object, yeah. back in One Day at a Time. So my analogy sort of falls apart. Never mind, I said nothing.
1: Well, you know, I mean, it's all variations on a theme. I mean, Legend is very much a variation on, on uh, Wild Wild West, you know? Yeah. Not even really kind of hidden. I mean, it's almost no. exactly the same thing as Wild Wild West, in a sense, you know?
2: Yeah, although, I, you know, and the, but the thing is, when I, when I was talking about superhero earlier, like, something that came to mind is the earlier incarnations of the Punisher... Or uh-huh. a variation on this, because Microchip was the one who made everything for the Punisher to go out. Now, I want everybody to be very clear that I'm not saying Legend is anything like the Punisher <laughs> at all.
0: Yep. But
2: just to demonstrate how the conceit sort of, like, reverberates through everything.
1: I, I, think, I think that it did have a lot of potential. But at the same time, I'm wondering, you know, definitely with the mindset... Uh, I mean, in TV in general at at that point in time, but also in particular where I think Pillar was coming from off of Star Trek and everything, I wonder how much you could do with that beyond just the sort of random adventure of the week, you know, because I have a feeling that's what it would have been was just, you know, uh, oh, oh, now another person is coming to town and it's bad news for the town and now they've got to stop them or whatever, you know?
2: Yeah, but at the same time, I th- I think that I think that we've all become too too focused on the continuing mythology arcs and the connected universes and stuff like that. Like there's a place for that sort of television. There really is. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you want a steak and sometimes you just want a hamburger. And this would be the type of show where no, it's never gonna, it would have never blown up the ratings or anything, but sometimes it's nice just to sit down with something that doesn't ask too much of you and just mm-hmm. says, "You know what? Let's have a good time. These are the good guys, these are the bad guys, and let's just work through this week's plot and we're all going to be happy at the end because the good guys are going to win. There's a place for that. It fits.
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess you know, looking at it from like the modern day perspective, like the problem that I see with it you know is like... Okay, and then we're gonna watch the next episode, and it's gonna be the exact same thing. But I guess this is, you know, still right before we had things like TiVo, so there well was, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, people were like videotaping this stuff, and then you lose the videotape or whatever, and because of that, you know, I mean, I guess it, it does make sense that people were not doing any binge watching of any sort,
2: you know? Yeah. And so. so maybe it is a relic. But it's a cute relic.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think it's it's bad by any stretch of the imagination. Um, certainly a, a lot better than than most pilots which are out there. I think
2: it was better than time tracks. If I can call back to something that was worked on by another Trek alum.
1: Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, when you start comparing it to, I mean, because we have sort of watched a lot of shows from not only this era but sort of this sub genre. You know, I yeah. mean, even though it's not a syndicated show, it was about as close as you could get to being syndicated without being syndicated, being on you know yeah. UPN. And, um, I mean, I, I do think that it's substantially better than most of those, for sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, the production quality is good. It's shot well. Um, yeah. And, you know, especially for the day. And, uh, like, performances, cast, costume, solidly put together
1: you know speaking of being shot well uh one of the the interesting things about it is that the pilot was directed by a guy named um Charles Correll, who uh is a Star Trek alum himself he was the cinematographer on Star Trek 3 The Search for Spock no kidding yeah so oh. so that's kind of that's kind of cool and um yeah i guess he 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 had he had shot a lot of movies um he's got 37 credits as as director of photography including a couple um emmy nominations for his photogra- for his photography he had worked on shows like columbo and Kojak and and all that stuff and then um he was the director of photography on animal house actually <laughs> oh, <laughs> um wow yeah so and and star trek 3 the search for spock and you know, after after uh, I guess you know putting in his his time or whatever as a cinematographer, he made the leap to directing, where he worked in television primarily uh, for a long time. You know, like fifteen years, doing everything from MacGyver and and Wise Guy to you know Law and Order and and Legend and everything Melrose place stargate he, he must have been you know pretty hooked into to richard dean anderson yeah i was going to
2: say stargate that's probably <laughs>
1: yeah all, all the way on up you know through csi and uh, without a trace until he until he passed away uh, about 11 years ago so that's kind of cool that you know even though it it you know came in sort of a roundabout fashion you know like here's another star trek alum who's teaming yeah. up with with Michael Pillar two people who I, I, as far as I can tell never worked together up until this point there you know one common connection probably being Richard Dean Anderson and and here they are you know and and you can tell like like you're saying like photographically and everything it it
2: does look really nice you know well it was originally uh supposed to be developed as a just as a TV movie i think and then they took it and they went Uh, they they went series with it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like maybe it was going to be like a a backdoor pilot or something kind of like they did with with, uh, Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. I mean, I guess at that point in time, UPN was sort of like desperate for programming, like we're saying. And yeah, this must have been like the first iteration of the UPN because after this, you know, they always kept Star Trek around, but they sort of like went, in completely different directions with (laughs) everything else and nothing ever quite
2: stuck, which is unfortunate, but yeah, it is. But I mean, like, you know, uh, and we've hit on this topic before where it's like in in today's landscape, you almost got to wonder some of the shows that they had, you know, with the, the changing landscape and everything, could a show like legend survive? I mean, granted it would have to be a little bit retooled, but like, that's sort of like comedic western. Could the the concept even survive I, today? Is there a place for it?
1: I mean, I I think that it, it would have to be greatly modified, you know. But I mean, I mean, well, even at this point in time, you had shows like Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., right? Yeah. I mean, so so there is somewhat of a market for it. I don't know. See every time that I like I could see a show like this ending up on like the sci fi channel. Like every time I think about yeah. this and, and sort of a, a question like that, you know, which is a valid question, I I think like, yeah, you got a point and then I think on the other hand, the librarians
2: exists, you know? <laughs> well, so. you know, and there's all but there's also a uh, to go back to the Tarantino thing, could you know, every so often Tarantino heralds the reawakening of many genres and subgenres. Could it be that we're discussing this show just before Hateful Eight comes out, and we could see a, a resurgence of Western interest? Because I think that the Western, as a genre, has sort of been dying out. Even the comedic Western, you know, on television and stuff like like, it's really been really been lean. I mean, Westerns were, they, they were such a staple and I struggle to think of anything that's come out of significance. I mean, 310 to Yuma, but that was years ago.
1: Well, Django Unchained,
2: I would say. Yeah. It's, okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: But so that's, I mean, in that interview, in that Tarantino interview, he talks about that. He talks about Westerns and he, he talks about how, cause people are like, um, you know, some of the stuff that you're dealing with in, in Hateful Eight uh is very reminiscent of what's going on in the country right now and everything and you know was that intentional or whatever and he's like no i was in the script and you know now it's going on in, in the headlines and i'm really kind of glad about that and, and all this stuff and one of the things which he said which i thought was was really interesting was um westerns have always been very modern you know westerns yeah. have always been a reflection it kind of like sci-fi actually you know mm-hmm. a reflection of of where society is at whatever point in time they're being produced you know and, yeah. and I, I i can see that you know i i can see i can see that i'm not sure how it applies to legend but something to think about nonetheless
2: <laughs> yeah i mean i you know i don't know how would it apply to Legend? No, I'm curious now to try to figure noodle that one through.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it's it's interesting. I mean, I guess it would have to have something to do with you know the idea of celebrity, you know, and maybe yeah. maybe the fact that you know Pillar was coming from this, the world of Trek, you know, and it's like where maybe more than any other type of 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 movies or television, like these people are sort of like idolized. And sort of thought of as being their characters more than than the people who they are. You know, it's right. like it, it's like a weird sub version of you know celebrity, where it's, uh, unlike them being a movie star who, who's, who's in everything, it's like they're in one thing, but people obsess over that one thing. You know, Yeah. so maybe maybe that has something to do with it. You
2: know, I could see that. Yeah, that theme works. Yeah. It definitely does. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, look thinking of it from that angle, gives it even that gives it some interesting depth. Yeah. That's sort of coming to terms. I mean, it's sort of the same thing that because Galaxy Quest came out. R- it was roughly it around was about, this time
1: about four years after this.
2: Yeah, but I, but that yeah. even speaks to the same idea of like the difference between myself and my character is yeah. I'm not my character. <laughs> you know yeah yeah that's true that's true it's interesting
1: yeah i don't know so so any uh final thoughts on on legend
2: yeah i not i I, and i'm saying this with with a smile on my face but it it made me think of my dad and so i think i'm gonna go through the rest of the series just for that sort of like you know sort of virtual time with him to be like oh yeah i know what he would laugh at no
1: yeah that's really cool yeah um, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued to see where it goes from here. It's just one of those things where, I mean, God, I so, there's too many things to watch, you know, and you really have to pick and choose. I mean, I cannot believe after me talking about True Detective <laughs> for how long and being like, oh my God. And I watched those first two episodes as they dropped, you know, you know, it's like Justin Lin, Justin Lin. And I haven't seen an episode since and it's not because i'm like oh, i'm not interested or i'll I'll get to it later it's like i've literally had no time to watch them you know
2: oh yes oh yeah
1: so in that in that sort of like reality where i have to pick and choose what i'm watching i don't know if legend is going to to make the cut at this particular point in time but i could definitely see myself going back and, and checking out the rest of it at a later date you know
2: yeah sure yeah. yep
1: well, it's been fun talking about legend today, but this isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM this week. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on
0: the network. Previously on Trek.fm Standard Orbit. <laughs> So Nicholas Meyer hearing that immediately starts getting inspiration. So like, let's do Chernobyl in space. Let's do the wall comes down in space and it just sort of comes out of, of, of Nicholas Meyer. You know, let's let's comment on, you know, you know, what, 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 how would Kirk feel about this and all, all these sorts of issues. Earl Grey. Really, she's following the hasprat, I think, is really what it is. <laughs> Come for the revolution, stay for the hosperat. it's gotta be fresh hasperat. <laughs> None of that replicated stuff. Like Daniel's like at the watching the end of this episode, like tears are coming down the face. It's like, Oh, it's the hosperat, it's so spicy. It's what it is. <laughs> the orb. Well, apparently, and did you find this interesting, Matthew? Apparently The Na'vark reports directly to the prophets,
1: which is awkward because they don't
0: always show up for meetings. So, (laughs) right. Plus, you never know what time the meeting is really going to be. Right.
1: That is true. It could have been yesterday, and you might have missed it. The ready room.
0: Do you think this episode would have been so popular and remain a fan favorite if the Enterprise had been overrun with zebra mussels? (laughs) (laughs) To the journey. Why is he wearing the toga? Now, is he going to a frat party, or is he being Julius Caesar? Either way, it's weird. Don't you don't you know Tristan's fascination with late 20th century university social groups? Warp 5. It kind of like is akin to um, when fans saw the galaxy class in The Next Generation for the very first time, and you had a basically a crew and civilian compliment of, what, over a thousand people? About two-thirds of that compliment were... Civilians and their families. So you actually did have teachers and scholars and scientists and their extended families on board. Commentary: Trek Stars. One of the things that amazes me about the score for Star Trek: The Motion Picture is that he he only had fifty percent of the movie available to him when he scored. So he he was scoring an awful lot to scene missing, scene missing. The Six O Two Club. Where did he get the cloak from on the <laughs> other planet? I really, really, really want to know. He shows up uh, with the he, cloak. He, he,
1: he kind of fashioned it
0: out of out of a ludu- rudimentary lane. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Literary treks.
1: It's a small point, but I thought it was really interesting to have here in the book because, again, that's what Star Trek Deep Space Nine has really always done for Star Trek, which is kind of make faith okay in the star trek universe and show how it's valid and so i thought that was a really nice uh, in it again it's a it's a tiny point in the book but i thought it was pretty powerful at
0: least for me who is somebody who is a faith so Mm -hmm. axonar the official podcast It is the spirit of TOS that matters that's being captured, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the aesthetic. The aesthetic was 1966 to 1969. That had its moment. It had its time. And there's a certain amount of charm still to that, but it doesn't allow you to push the narrative forward because that type of aesthetic holds creativity back, in my opinion. Women at Warp. There's so many things that I got to do. Yeah. I got to I got to pilot the defiant. I, you know, I got to sit in the chair. That was like that was a big deal. Yeah. And Renee would always say, "Nana, you know this isn't real." I mean, you're you're so excited to be in the chair. It's not actually happening. That's exciting. <laughs> it was exciting. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm.
1: Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts if you're an apple user be sure to hit the subscribe button that helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search itunes if you're not an apple user we've got you covered as well you can find our shows on stitcher TuneIn, spreaker soundcloud windows phone and of course you can stream and download the mp3 file from our website and grab the rss link as well Another way that you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com trekfm, that's patreo dot com trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all of the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trek.fm. Uh, If you want to leave a review for us on iTunes, that would be greatly appreciated. That really helps us uh, get pushed up in the iTunes rankings and polls and gives us a lot more exposure and uh, lets other people see what it is that we're doing, and and keeps the discussion going. So uh, please leave us a review on iTunes, and we'll read it on the air.
2: In whatever voice you tell us to read it in.
1: Yes, for sure. If you want to contact us in another way, you can find a form at trek.fm slash contact, or you can leave a voicemail. Uh, If you look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm, uh, you can leave a voicemail that way. You can find the network on Twitter at TrekFM. You can find the network on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. And you can find uh, the network's forum uh, on Facebook at the, the Babel Conference. Uh, just type in the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field... And uh, on Facebook and, and or go to our website at trek.fm and click the discussion tab on the menu bar. Before we go we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary Trek stars and all of our shows to you each week and our sponsor for this show is audible.com Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for Do you have a book for us this week, John?
2: Why well, I do and it's a special tribute to... Uh... Uh, Richard Dean Anderson. Uh, It's a book called What Would MacGyver Do? True Stories of Improvised Genius in Everyday Life by Brendan Vaughn. And the summary is this. You're driving on a deserted road when your car dies. Your cell phone isn't getting any service. All you have on hand are a gum wrapper and a wire hanger. Or maybe you're living in a building without central air conditioning in July. You can't afford an AC. All you have access to are a fan and a bucket of water in such times of desperation, many have called upon the symbol of all that is inventive, the hero who awed thousands with his cool, quick wit. What would MacGyver do?
1: Wow, that sounds pretty interesting. I could use that that uh, that tip with the fan and the bucket of water.
2: I actually know that trick. Yeah? What? Yeah, I, I used it in an apartment that I had without air conditioning one awful, awful summer. Well, what do you do? Uh, you put a fan uh, over a bucket, uh, blowing uh, air over a bucket of water with ice in it. And as the ice evaporates, the air is a little humid, and the fan blows it, and it basically creates a a, a vent of cool air that blows over you.
1: Hmm. Hmm. I'll have to try that. I'll have to try that. Because it's been nice and, and cool for the past few weeks, and then all of a sudden today the temperature shot up again to like 90 degrees. I'm like, what's going on?
2: I will let you know that it is not as effective as central air conditioning. Okay. That right. is certain. All right. But it is refreshing.
1: Okay. All right. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know. Uh, well, as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audio book of your choice, along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for supporting commentary, Trek stars, and the network all right well that takes care of legend um you know kind of crazy that he had two shows come out in the span of three months on the same network
2: that's pretty nuts
1: yeah it really is i mean that's that's very impressive especially considering the size of of voyager you know and then having to develop something from scratch you know uh, along with you know his collaborators for sure um but that that is that is super impressive After Legend, it was another seven years until he had uh, another pilot produced. And that pilot was The Dead Zone, which is the show that we're going to be talking about next week. And uh, to join us in discussing The Dead Zone, we have a very special guest lined up. Eric A. Stilwell, who was an associate producer on The Dead Zone, as well as someone who worked on Star Trek for years and years and years, where he did a whole ton of stuff including co-writing yesterday's enterprise which is crazy mind-blowing yeah yeah so he'll be with us next week uh to discuss the dead zone so be sure to come back here and check it out